Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, who's got their Bibles with you this morning? You're going to open up to Luke chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have your Bible today, to start bringing your Bible with you. Um, Our phones, uh, they carry a lot of distractions. And um, even while I'm taking my notes... Uh, during the messages, like I have to battle all kinds of other distractions and uh, just reading God's word from a physical Bible, um, it helps you to stay focused and it helps you retain a lot more. And I love my Bible that I have at home. Uh, it actually has all kinds of notes from my dad and um, like, you know, tear stains and my notes and highlights and underlining and those things are important to look back and to pass down. All right, Um, so chapter 9 verses 1 through 10 and this is the ESV version. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had been risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. Your word is liberty. Your word is freedom. Your word is salvation. Your word is you. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. Let it, Father, transform our lives and let us be renewed. Let us, Father God, receive from you fully, completely, Lord, whether it be a rebuke or an encouragement, Lord, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray today that you would use me to rightly divide the word, and I pray that you would pour out, Lord, pour out from your word to our hearts exactly what you have intended for this day. And I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. So, as we just heard in Luke chapter 9, this is a a brand new phase of the ministry of Jesus. This is something that's brand new, something that's just starting. And, and honestly, it's extremely significant. Historically, it's extremely significant what's happening here in, this, in these verses as we start into Luke chapter 9. Um, it's the first time his 12 disciples have been given a, an assignment. They've been given their first sending out. And Matthew, in his gospel, as he's talking about this story, Matthew tells us in there that they, they were, as they were sent out, that they were directed to the house of Israel, that they were directed to go to God's people, that first they were going to deliver to Israel the news that the king had arrived. 
that the Messiah was here, that King Jesus had come. And the people of Israel were to accept that message. But as we know, they didn't. Or not all of them did, anyway. Many of them rejected the message. And at, at that point, that's when God caused or sent the gospel out to the other nations. That today we are even a part of that. The nations of the world that would be sent the gospel and receive that. But up to this point, in all of this, up to this point, the disciples, um, they basically had been just watching Jesus. They had been following Jesus, and, and he's been ministering. Jesus has been showing them he truly was the Messiah. He truly is God. He was showing them this by the signs and the wonders and the acts and the things that he said and did and taught, the kingdom just purposes that he was imparting to them. But up until this point, that's what this was all about. This was all just Jesus teaching them, showing them. They were in this place of just observing what Jesus was doing. I have three children, and, and, and I had the, the pleasure of teaching them all how to drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, my last, Carly, um, Carly had, had literally spent, you know, probably thousands of hours in the car watching us, watching me drive, watching Joni drive, watching all the time. And I don't know how much she was paying attention, but you know what, if she'd have been paying attention really well, she might have observed how to drive just by watching. Not sure how good that worked, but she did watch. And, and sooner or later came to the point where we needed to get her prepared. And so we started, we took her down to the, a parking lot and we allowed her to just slowly drive around in an empty parking lot. And then, you know, we okay, got into the street, in the back streets, you know, where there's no traffic or no cars or buildings. <laughs> And, and so, you know, she's driving around, and then we, you know, finally we, we took her out, and she was allowed to drive on some streets, and we got her into the city a little bit, and then she's out on the highway. But sooner or later, there had to come a point where Carly took the keys, and we said, go drive. She had to go drive on her own. With her, <laughs> with her license, yes. But that's where these disciples are. These disciples have been watching and Jesus has been showing and teaching and here they are in this, what for them would have been a very surprising transition. This would have been something they probably were not expecting and all of a sudden they are said, they're told to get out on the road by themselves. They are pushed into the spotlight. They're, they're sent out into this time. And, and in Mark's gospel, it says that they went out two by two. And so two by two being sent to the people of Israel, to the house of Israel, and they were on this, what, what we call a short-term missions trip. And so these guys were being sent out. And, I, and as I'm reading through this and looking at all of this, you know, Jesus, in Luke chapter eight, we just went through all of that. And, and that's the story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood and how the crowds and all these things were happening. And here we, we see that obviously the disciples are somewhere. 
They're probably at home. They're probably getting some rest. They're, they're probably in the, in the Galilee area where most of them were from, and they probably were all off at home. But all of a sudden, there's this announcement that comes, hey, Jesus wants everybody to come. Everybody come on. We've got to get together. And there seems to be this urgency, this suddenness that comes out of what we hear in the Scripture. It says in verse 1, and he called the 12 together. Okay, he calls them together Okay, this one deep, you might want to write it down. He calls them together because they weren't together. There you go. Getting into the depth of it now. He calls them together. They weren't together, so he calls them all together. And then it says he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal And so he calls them all together, imparts what they need, and sends them out. That's what what this was about for them. He calls them together, and then to send them out. He wants them to come together, he gathers, and then he sends. But what about all the crowds? I mean, up to this point, I mean, Jesus has got these massive crowds that are all around him. So when does he send the crowds out? You know what? He doesn't. He doesn't. You see, there were a lot of people in that crowd that simply came for what Jesus could do for them. They simply came for a spiritual meal. That's all that they wanted, and that's all they were doing. They were gathered, but it was the apostolos, the Greek word is, the apostolos, the the sent out ones. It was the apostolos that they had come to Jesus to learn a way of life. They had come to learn the ways of the Messiah. They had come to learn from Jesus what it looked like to live the life that Jesus was calling them to. And they were the ones that were sent out. Look, to be a true disciple means that you gotta be willing to be gathered together, to be trained up, to be spoken into, to be imparted to, and then sent out on your mission. There is not a single one of you here that God does not have a mission to send you on. And that doesn't mean out somewhere else. Right where you are is the field in which God has called you to minister in. Right where you are is where God has called you. And are you being taking upon yourself the responsibility of being a sent out one? Or are you just simply being gathered? Uh-oh. You're all being trained. God's, God wants each and every one to be trained, to be sent out. Each one gathered. And you guys are sent out. Jesus, that's what he's calling to. And before these guys are sent out, Jesus gives them some things that they need to do. In this, in this mission here, he gives them these things that he's calling them to do. I mean, first off, the announcement would have been like, whoa, wait a second. This is brand new. And then Jesus goes on to tell them how he wants to accomplish this, what he wants them to do. And I, I want to go through these verses and share with you some things that were obviously very relevant to them, but also still relevant to you and I. And, and, and I'll be honest, I am not going to dig. I, look, 
I, I spent hours and hours and hours just through these 10 verses, and there was so much in there. Originally, I thought, oh, I'm just reading through that. It's a simple little thing. But there's so much depth to all of this, and you're going to have to dig in and find some of those things yourself. I'm going to share with you some of the things that I feel the Lord laying on my heart to share with you through, as I go through these scriptures. But I look, the, 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 the Word of God is a well, and there's no end to it. So I'm not going to get to the end of it. And honestly... That's not my job anyway. Amen. My job, look, everybody comes and wants a great meal, but I don't care how my job is, it is, I can't feed you well enough for you to be sustained all week. So my job isn't necessarily to come together with a meal for you today. My, my job necessarily is to make sure that I train you up under the works of the ministry, that you would begin to get away from the milk, thinking that all you gotta do is just receive from someone else and start digging in so you can feed yourself. So dig into some of these verses. Am I getting to get to, is this an exhaustive study? No. And am I gonna share every implication that the things I'm talking about have for you? No. Some of them I've purposely left out because I want you to find those things. So there is an end. There, there's no end to the well of God's word. And so he gives us these points and these have, uh, they all have implications for you and I still today. So my, my first point from verse number one, as we just, we're just going to go slowly through this scripture here, are these 10 verses. Is, the first is, that, is this, don't forget you're helpless on your own. We're helpless. He says, in verse one, he says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Gave them all power and all the ability to cure diseases. So in this, we see that the disciples have received something. They have received what? They received everything that they would need to perform the task that Jesus was assigning to them. And everything they received was from a source outside of themselves. It all came from something that was not in them. It was of him. He's the one who did that. And so these guys have been watching Jesus, and Jesus has been living his life. He's been, he's been uh, preaching and teaching and, and doing signs and wonders and miracles. And, and, and these guys are watching the Messiah. This truly is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel. And now the Messiah says, I'm going to give you, he gives them power and he gives them authority to do all of the things that Jesus had been doing. He was imparting to them some of his messianic credentials. And he's in this time here, he's saying he gives them power, which is the word dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get the word dynamite. He's given them this power. This power gave them the ability to do what Jesus, heal disease. What did Jesus give them? He gave them the ability to do what Jesus had been doing. And then he gave them excusia, which is the Greek word for authority. He gave them authority, which is what Jesus, which Jesus showed them what he did. And now this is who he is. And he's imparting to them this authority that Je about who Jesus is. He gives them in this the ability, church, what he's doing, he gives them in this ability as they go out to reverse the curse of this world. And it's a foretaste of what it is that's to come as the kingdom of God is unveiled. 
I, um, I have a friend that I've told you about before. His name is Brian. And Brian is a... Um, Brian's a, a big guy. Brian's like, he's six foot five. He's 240, 250 pounds, you know, not, no fat on him. John, Brian was just a huge hulking guy. And to see him in the gym, you go, whoa. You know, I, I can't, I couldn't even put the weights on the bar that he was lifting. And so you look at him and he's like, man, that guy, there's, he, he, he's powerful, but when Brian put on his Arizona State Trooper uniform, you knew that Brian had the authority to use that power. Because if Brian had just been a bouncer, he, he could have been arrested if he'd have used that power against me. But since he was a trooper, he had the authority to use the power to stop me from doing what was wrong, what was bad. And here, these guys, they had the power and the authority of Jesus. And the power and the authority was to validate the message and to validate that they truly were messengers of the king. They truly were the ones that were the sent out ones. But church, all of this is from Jesus. It's all from him. He's the one who did that. Which again means for you and I, we are helpless on our own. We just don't like that today, do we? We just don't even like to hear that. What do you mean I'm helpless on my own? I can live my best life. We, we are on our own. We are helpless to do anything that God's called us to do. In fact, in John 15, 5, it, Jesus himself, Jesus said this. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Is this thing working? Are you guys, can you hear me? <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is, again, this whole thing is an absolutely amazing and wonderful reminder that God gives us that everything, that he gives us everything that we need to live for him, to live in him and to do what God has called us to do. He supplies, he's the one who meets those needs. He's the one who causes it all. Yes, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's that same Jesus that said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is God. Which means for those of us who apart from Jesus can do nothing with Jesus, all of a sudden impossibilities become possible. Why? Because of me? Because I'm so? No, it's all because of him. All because of him. Verse number two. Second point is don't try to be original. Now, again, Try to be who you are and unique in the way in which God created you, but don't try to be original. In other words, stick to the script that God gives you. Amen. Stick to what God says. Here in verse two, it says, he sent them out to what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so when these disciples went out, we see in verse six, what did they go to do? They went out and they departed. They went two by two to the villages that they, Jesus had called them to go to, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 
So they went out, and again, you can dive into the depths of all that. You can look into that. Uh, you know, it, it's actually a fascinating study. But I want to focus on this point of proclaiming the kingdom of God. So when God, Jesus said, proclaim the kingdom of God, and it says when they went out, doing what he told them to do, what were they doing? They were preaching the gospel. So proclaiming the kingdom of God is preaching the gospel. It's sticking to the script. It's doing and saying what the king has called us to do and say. It's this. Jesus Christ has come. The king has come. And you need to repent. You need to repent of your sinfulness and surrender your life to him. You need to believe and trust and yield to the authority of the king. Amen. That's it. It's the word of God. Really, he's noticed that what Jesus sent them out to do, Jesus did not send the disciples out to come up with their own message. It's not what he did. And these, these I love, you know, as you read through this, these original, these apostolic preachers, these, uh, these ministers, they did not come up with an original message. They, they weren't original, they were revelatory. They were just revealing what Jesus did, what Jesus said, what Jesus told them to say. They were revealing the kingdom of God. And that's what these guys, that's what they were doing. That's what we have in the word, is this revelation of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus sent them out, he said in verse two, he said, to go out and to proclaim. And that word proclaim, that's used in, in scripture, but it's describing of a herald and a herald that had been sent out. And what would happen is a herald, the king would give the herald a, a, a script. He would tell them what he wanted them to say. And the herald would go to the community that the king had sent them to, and the herald would go to the, 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 the center place of the community, and he would declare the king's message. He would take out the scroll that the king had given, he would open up the scroll, and he would declare with a loud and a confident voice exactly what the king had told him to say. And church, he did not add a single word to it, and nor did he take a single word from it. Because if a herald went out with the message of the king and added to it or took away from it, he would be killed. And it's in the same way that God has called you and I to proclaim what he says. These guys didn't go out and, look, they went out and gave the message of the king, not their own message. And here they are now, they're, they're in the middle of it all. They're out there and they're in the spotlight. And, and again, don't forget, for, this is for you and, and for us, for today and for them, that faithful preachers, faithful teachers are never original just merely proclaiming the message of the king. It's all about the word. It's all about the message of the king. But in the world in which we live today, there's this temptation for pastors to move away from some, totally understand that the word of God into areas and things on topics. And again, I, I, I totally understand that the word of God needs to be made relevant to the culture or the place that we live, but it can't be compromised by the culture in which we live. It can't be changed by the culture that we live. We stand on what God has declared and what God says, and what God says is the way it goes, whether you like it or not. And, and it doesn't matter what culture says. Again, you know, God doesn't care your feelings about homosexuality. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a single one of you that he asked if that was okay. 
He doesn't. He didn't. He tells us, this is the message of the king. Declare it. And whether people like it or not, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But we're called to take the, the message of the kingdom and proclaim the message of the kingdom and we are not to add to it. We're not to take from it. means we're not to alter it. We're not to dilute it. We're not to water it down. We're not to change it and transform it so that it tickles the ears of those who hear. We're not to do what we need to do with the word of God so that it'll draw a crowd. Amen. It's we preach the word of God. This is the truth. This is what he said. Because listen, I do not have the words of salvation. I, my message cannot save. It's only the message of the king. It's only the message of the kingdom that has the ability to save those that are lost. It's only the message of Jesus and the good news that our king has come. Our king defeated death, hell, and the grave. Our king is alive, and he sent the spirit of God to you. But church, listen, is that still our message? Or has the church grown tired of it? Oh, I mean, I know that sounds so ridiculous, but, you know, and I've had this said. Why do I need to go to a church that preaches salvation every week? I'm saved. And I, I will say this, if that's your attitude, you probably need the message. We need, I mean, again, just being in church doesn't make you a born again. So we need to stick to the king's script. But today, it's so easy. And I went through this when we, when we talked about the you know, the, the Babylonian kingdoms and all of that, you know, it becomes so easy to, instead of preaching the truth of the word of God, to substitute it with, you know, with, with pop psychology and cultural messages that would become just, honestly, nothing more than just rhetoric. Don't try to be original. Stick to the script. The word of God. What does God say about that? What does God say about this? What does God say? The third point, third verse. Don't depend on what you can pack. Which again, uh, that's a tough one. Verse three, he said, and he, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now, again, that's not the way I pack for a trip. I am a classic overpacker. I usually come back with more clothes that I did not even wear than, than anything else. And so when I go on a trip, I've got all kinds of stuff packed in my bag. I, you know, we, we've, I mean, we've got all of my overnight bag and we got all of our toiletries and all of this. Something happened. I mean, we've got, we've got snacks for the car ride, money in case something happens. And I, I but Jesus, this is like, whoa, wait a second. I was thinking about the, uh, the, just being in that group with those 12 guys and Jesus, and he, he, he says this to them, and you know, he says, hey, and take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and, and do not have two tunics. And I just you know, hear Nathaniel or one of the guys from the back going, whoa, 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 wait, wait, Jesus, just a second here. I, I thought you said not to pack anything, not even, not even a carry-on. 
I don't think I heard you right. Could you repeat that? And Jesus is, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, you heard me right. I said, don't take anything, take nothing for the trip. And in case you don't understand, obviously you don't, what nothing is, let me tell you. He says, don't take a staff. Which again, a staff is, is what in that day, that was their protection. That's what they would use to protect themselves from animals, from thieves, from others. That was their, that was their, it was a weapon for them oftentimes. Other things you can use that for. But what ultimately Jesus is saying, don't take the staff. Trust me to provide for you. He says, don't take a bag. And, and that word, you can, again, you can look it up. It, it, the, the bag, what that the definition is a common, it was a beggar's bag used for soliciting. Or, or it could have been a knapsack, which they would put their like day pack. And he, but ultimately he's saying, trust me for all that. He says, don't take any food. Jesus is saying, I will provide for you. He says, don't take any money. I will provide for you. He says, don't even take an extra tunic. Don't even take a change of clothes. Listen, he's saying, don't even take a spare pair of underwear. <laughs> Look, you know what Jesus is saying? He's not saying, I want you to be gross. He's saying, I see every detail of what you're gonna need and I'm gonna provide for you. And I'm going to provide for you about the things that are seen. And I'm going to provide for you the things that are unseen. I'm going to provide for you in every moment and in every way of this trip. What Jesus depend on what you have. Depend entirely on God. Depend on him. And this is where he's, he's speaking this to them because this whole mission trip, this whole place that they're being sent out to, this whole thing is an exercise in faith. He's calling them in this time, walk by faith. He wanted them to learn this valuable lesson. And through these guys, listen, you know, wisdom says that we can learn lessons through the things that others did. Okay, a, a fool has to learn every hard lesson himself. How many of us talked to our kids about that when they were growing up? Can't you learn from my mistakes? Nope. Well, Bible says you're a fool. <laughs> but God wanted them to learn this lesson, that God's commission always comes with God's provision. That God provides. When he commissions us, he provides for us. And every time, he will make sure that he does that. Sometimes it comes at the last moment. How many of us have bailed out on a calling, bailed out on a mission, bailed out on a commission because God didn't come in the timing that we thought that God should come and provide for us? And so we bailed out on all of that because God didn't do it when we thought that he should do it. I'll tell you this, God is, he may not be early, but he's never late. God provides. We just have to trust in that. You know what? It would have been so much easier, wouldn't it, for these guys if Jesus would have given them all the provisions ahead of time and then said, now go. It's not what he did, huh? You know what? If they, if, if they would have said, okay, Jesus, when the provisions come, we'll go. They'd still be standing there. Amen. Jesus was calling them to go. He was calling them to go out. 
that God will not send you and then abandon you. He won't. Now again, don't misunderstand. Doesn't mean that we just fly flippantly and just, oh, no worries, I don't have to do anything or I don't have to work for this or I shouldn't prepare for the journey. No, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's not the, I mean, you're supposed to make some plans. You're supposed to, even later on, I mean, there are things where God might call you to something special or something unique, but in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sending the apostles out this time, and this time he says, and I want you guys to go, and I want you to take a bag with you, and I want you to go out, and I want you to take a staff with you, and I want you to take some money with you, and hey, that extra tunic that you got now, I want you to maybe, you know, if you don't have one, sell that tunic and get a sword. So he's saying, you know, prepare. It's, it's like in my sermon. I, you know what? I, 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 again, you may, oh, why doesn't he follow the Holy Spirit? You may think this is weird. I prepare my sermons. How long would you be here if all I did was stood up here and just wung it? How long would it be until we as a church were off into some really her, heretical doctrines? So I prepare, and every single Sunday morning, I'm praying, Lord God, I've prepared myself to the best that I can, and Lord, if you want to change things up, then you do it. But I am not going to look lightly on the pulpit and not prepare, and I don't think at all that that's what God is saying in this whole story here. This is this initial road trip, this initial sending out, and Jesus wanted to impress on them the urgency. The field is white, it's ripe under the harvest. And so he's impressing this urgency on this, that the mission can't wait. And church, it's the same urgency today. The mission can't wait. The field is white, it's ripe. If we're in our end days and we're in the last, I thought we were in those days, and a lot who feel like we're in those days now, then you know what? We should be out there in the field looking for the harvest. Building a sense of trust that God would provide. Number four. Don't become a snob. He says in verse four, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Matthew, in his gospel, he says it like this. He says, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. That's Matthew 10, 11. The idea of someone worthy, how, how do I, what a, the idea of someone worthy has to do with those who believe the message of the king. They were sent to declare the message of the king. And those who are worthy, those who receive the message of the king, he says, for those, if there's a believer and someone comes to receive the message of the king and that you've preached the gospel and they invite you to come stay in their home, accept the invitation. Right? Now the caution, don't constantly, don't constantly be looking for someplace better. Hey, you never know who's going to get saved in that town. You never know. I mean, and he's saying, look, when, when you are given someplace, go to that place and don't be looking for someplace better. Don't be, because somebody better might, with a better place might become a believer. Because we have a tendency to go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You saved somebody better. I'm so tired of sleeping on the floor. Because maybe the first person that invited you in, you're sleeping on the floor, you know, with the animals in the living room. 
My back is sore. This is hard. This is difficult. And look, this rich guy got saved and he's got a nice big house and he's got a guest room. And that guest room, he's got a feather bed. And he's got a hot tub in that room and air conditioning and a mini refrigerator. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. That must be God doing this for me. Or the town chef gets saved. Yeah. Man, the chef got saved and he invited us to come stay with his family. This is you, God. This must be you, God. Because the place where I was staying in, we were having, you know, rice and beans for breakfast and beans and rice for dinner. They didn't have any money. They didn't have anything. We were just barely eating. And now this chef got saved. Thank you, Jesus. That is the way in which sometimes we might look at it. Thank you, God. You sent us out with no food and said you would provide. Yep. And I provided rice and beans. And you're not content. Look. One of the principles, and you can talk about all of those things in your life groups and have some uh, discussion over that, but one of the things, the principle that's ongoing here is, is that the Lord's provision is most often brought through the Lord's people. That's how God does it. He's still doing this today. He's still providing for the works of the gospel, for the kingdom works that are being done, that are being financed and being uh, provided for through those who believe in the gospel. That's how, he, how he's working. And what the disciples were cautioned about and what we're cautioned about is that we shouldn't take advantage of those people. That we shouldn't look at people like we look at stepping stones to the next best thing. Don't treat people like that. Don't, don't, just, don't just go to this one because they've got more comfortable accommodations for you. He says, stay in that first house that you come to no matter what. Just stay there. But man... Being content, being content with God's provision when we're not content with God's provision is really hard. I, um, I, I, I'm just going to share with you a, a, my per, a perspective that I have because I'm, as a pastor, I know a lot of different pastors and a lot of pastors from little churches and different sized churches all over. There's, within Grace, there's thousands of churches and get to meet all sorts of different people. And I, and I will tell you this, that for many pastors in small little churches, it becomes really difficult, not just for them, but for their family to be content with the provision that is there. Because there's this expectation of long hours that will be spent and a very limited salary. And the whole time knowing that there are many that are much more well-off in the church that aren't tithing. And that becomes for a lot of pastors and a lot of families of pastors, that becomes at times difficult to deal with. It just does. Again, it might be easy on, you know, on that side of the pew to, to think, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. But you know, put yourself in that position. And a lot of families, a lot of families, not even so much as much pastors as families, are hurt by the stinginess of a congregation. 
so my thought was, well, why don't pastors then just go on strike? You know, I mean, why don't more pastors just say, you know what? Huh? This thoughtful, unthoughtful congregation, I'm just not showing up on Sunday morning. Why don't they just form a union and say, you know what? Small pastors arise. We will not. You know. Look, I, I have a, a friend who was pastoring a small church. And uh, the small church was struggling. He'd been there for years. And, and the small church was struggling. And much of the struggle was because of his way in which he was doing things. And so he stood up one Sunday morning and made the announcement to the church, I need to let you all know. And, and again, you know, please I'm not trying to dictate or say who, who's led of the Lord and who's not. I'm not. But I do think this, that when, when God takes us from something, he doesn't take us from something. He takes us to something. And when, he, when he's truly in it, God's a good God. He's a win-win God. He doesn't cause us to leave something in a bunch of a mess. And so he stood up and, and said, oh, the Lord is leading me. Um, I'm taking a job at another church. And he had been offered a position in a big city at a mega church as a campus pastor. He didn't even have to have all the responsibilities of the lead pastor anymore. He was a campus pastor. They gave him the sermons to preach. He didn't even have to come up with his own sermons. And they offered him a package that was, uh, had a 401k, had medical and dental, along with a $125,000 a year salary. Why don't all pastors seek promotion to larger churches like that? And the answer is relatively simple. Because we serve God, not the congregation. We serve where God has called us to serve and to be content with what God has provided. And how God is providing that, that is God's dealing. Look, that is where we serve. We serve God. And, and I will serve God here for the rest of my life, I hope and pray. Because where God has provided, God has called us, he provides, and God is, he is, he is a good God. But let me ask you this. Because it's not just pastors and pastors' families that become disheartened with the provision of God. Have you been tempted to jump to greener pastures? Have you been tempted to, hey, you know, again, don't, don't think I don't, you know, hear these things. And, and, and I will say this, that, and, and I, again, I, I'm not even talking about the relevance of whether it's right or not. And says, hmm, we're going to another church. It hurts. It hurts. Now, again, I'm just telling you that not for any sort of condemnation of any kind, but just because that's the truth. I love you, and I care about you. And so when that happens, it hurts. And people don't think that it does. They'll hear people say, well, just like in the story, well, that church over there has a nicer building. 
You know, it's a little more comfortable. They have children's ministry and they have youth ministry all under the same roof. Jump for a better place. Or I've heard this before. Well, I just like the way he preaches. Okay, so you just like the way he prepares the meal better. Now again, please, I, I am not, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that God takes people to different times and different places. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that again, oftentimes what's happening is that we're just not content with what God is providing and we just want to jump to a place that looks better. And he's talking about that here. I know that there are many of you that struggle in finances, that struggle in the difficulties of what you're walking through in life. I totally understand, and it's really difficult. But I guess we have to come to this place where we go, you know, can I live in contentment and not worry about the food and the shelter, the clothing? Can I be content? Because, again, this is what Jesus calls us to. He says in Matthew 6, 23, or 32, you know, right after this whole thing that we've taught in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me move quickly here. Number five, don't expect a standing ovation from everyone. Verse 5, and whenever they do not receive you and you leave that town, shake, uh, uh, when you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Basically, in, in a, uh, just what that means is you better expect trouble. You better just expect trouble. Get ready for it. You know what? You're going to go to these villages, and in these villages, he's telling them, no, some of these villages, no one's going to believe you. No one's going to want the message. Nobody's going to want to hear you. You're not going to be invited into anybody's home. In some of these villages, you know what? They're not going to want to accept you in. They're going to want you to leave, and they're going to want you to leave right now, and they might even help you leave. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, when that happens, shake the dust off your feet. Now, again, they knew better what that meant because Israel was living on what they considered holy land. And that holy land was blessed of God. And so when they traveled outside of the holy land, they would travel to places that were pagan communities, pagan areas, pagan land. And they would walk through these pagan lands. And when they walked through these pagan lands, they would get pagan dust on their feet. And so when they came back to going into the holy land, what they were required to do was shake the dust off their feet because when they went into the holy land, they couldn't defile the holy land with that pagan dust. So when Jesus was sending these guys out, this was like, because they were sent to the people of Israel, to these, Israel, these, these communities within Israel. And he was saying, if they won't accept the message of the king, then shake the dust off your feet. He's saying, treat them like the pagan nation. Shake the dust. 
This was a formal act of, of separate yourself from them. I do, you don't even want their dust clinging to you because these people, they're headed towards the judgment of the king. Because they rejected the king's message, they're headed towards the judgment. But I also want you to see what he doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell them, hey, if they reject you, maybe it was because you preached a little too hard. Or, or maybe you weren't exciting enough when you preached. Or maybe you, maybe you didn't have enough oomph when you did it. Maybe you didn't have enough stories to add in, or, or, or maybe you were just a little too excited, or maybe you didn't explain all the benefits good enough. He didn't say any of that. None of it. Jesus was preparing his disciples for a time when people would respond with unbelief and rejection. And he was saying, I want you to go on. Don't let that stop you. Shake the dust off and go forward. Church, there's a message in that for you and for me. Shake the dust off. Go forward. Some villages, some places will invite you home for dinner. Some places are going to ask you to leave. And quickly. And when that happens, he says, don't change your message. Don't think that you got to go back and, you know, water down the message so that you can get invited back. Look, look, I hope that you're hearing this because this pertains to you and me. Don't, don't try to water down the message so that it becomes palatable to those that have rejected the message. You know, you make it very clear that it has been noted. They rejected the invitation of the king and that they are in danger of the coming judgment of God. Amen. And I promise you this. When you deliver that kind of message, that kind of gospel message, people are not gonna like it. So don't expect a standing ovation everywhere you go. J.C. Riley, he wrote this in his commentary a um, hundred years ago. He wrote this. He said, all ministers, missionaries, visitation workers, and Sunday school teachers would do well to lay the Lord's instructions to heart. Let them not be cast down if their work seems in vain. Commissioned were given... Let them remember that the very first preachers and teachers whom Jesus commissioned were given a distinct warning that not all would believe. So let us work patiently and sow the seeds without fainting. Duties are ours. Results are God's. That's when things don't go well. What about when things go really well? Which one's worse? Which one's better? What about when, ha when things don't? What happened? He says, he's talking about not getting distracted by success. Now Herod, verse seven, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. So what did he heard about? He probably heard the, about this little girl that was raised from the dead. He probably heard about the woman with the issue of blood. He probably heard about, you know, uh, what Jesus had been doing. And now he's hearing about the things that the disciples are doing and all this stuff that's going on. And he's hearing about it and, and he's perplexed. Because it is said, some said that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this of whom I'm hearing such things? And he sought to see him. So literally, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get Jesus to come in and to, the, the, to show him what was going on. And so I'm sure that he would have sent messages to the disciples as well. We want you to bring Jesus in. And at that point, look, Herod, Herod would have wanted to roll out the red carpet for these guys. I want you guys to come in and show me these miracles. Come in and do some of these things. I'll bring some sick people in. And I want you to come in and I want you to show me what you're doing. I want you to come. The, imagine the contrast between this and being kicked out of a little village. Now I'm being invited to come into audience with the king. 
imagine you had the ability for six weeks long, which is about how long this is, imagine you had the ability to go out and to heal every single person that was sick or diseased that you came across, and you had the ability to cast out every demon with just a word. I mean, everywhere you went. And imagine what, would it, what it would be like. I mean, every demonic person, I mean, you could go through the mental hospitals and just completely wipe it all out. I mean, no need for anything here. I mean, you could go up to the huntsman and walk through the halls, and, and just every cancer patient would just like rise up out of their bed, heal and whole. Imagine the kind of frenzy that that would create around you. Imagine the kind of, I mean, news reporters following you everywhere, recording everything that you did. All of the people that were gathered around, people coming from all over the place, every morning show wanting you to come and to be a part of the show with them. It would be crazy. I mean, this would be like intoxicating stuff. I also believe that could become very dangerous. Which again, you guys can go through some of this, but this is, which again is why in a couple of months, the disciples are walking down the road with Jesus, and Jesus, he knows what they're arguing about. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Where'd that start? I, I think it may have started here. Hey, you guys, you should have seen, I, I went out and... I, Three lepers healed in one afternoon. <laughs> That's nothing. Ten lepers healed in an hour. Oh, you think that's a, I preached in one town and everybody was healed, everybody was set free, so much so the leaders gave us the key to the city. I saw revival in the town I was in. I was the greatest. I, uh, it reminds me of a story. I'll real quick tell you the story because I, I, I just think it's funny. But little guy got his hat off and he holds that ball up and his mom's listening from the kitchen and she hears him go, I am the greatest hitter of all time. And he throws the ball up, swings a big miss. Strike one. Picks the ball back up. I am the greatest hitter of all time. And he throws it up again and swings even harder. And this time he misses by a mile. Dejected, it's strike two. He picks the ball back up and, and he says again with a more confident shout, I am the greatest hitter of all time. And he throws the ball up, swings as hard as he can, misses it completely again. Little boy doesn't know what to do at this point. And then he looks down, he picks up the ball, he holds it up and says, I am the greatest pitcher of all time. <laughs> Church, our desire for success can distract us from the truth. One commentary I read said, defeat can often overwhelm your heart, but success can inflate your head, and both can be deadly. That's why I, I'll finish with this. The last one, and this again, vitally important to all of us. In fact, this may be the most important point of all. And that is this. Don't forget to tell Jesus about everything. It says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. I think about the wisdom and the graciousness of our God who was willing to take these guys and to set them apart in a time of rest, a time to decompress, a time to just get their breath. 
Because Jesus knew they needed that. And he knows you need that. A time when you've gone through some things, whether it be good or bad, and you just need to decompress with Jesus because Jesus cares. Jesus wants you to talk to him. Jesus invited these guys to come and to tell him all the things that were going on, but Jesus already knew it. I mean, there's there's times when we think, oh, I don't need to pray. Jesus knows it all. He already knows. I don't need to say it. You're taking from Jesus what he wants from you, for you. He wants you to talk to him. Even though he knew all the things that went on, he invites these guys to come, and he's saying, come and let's talk about this. Come tell me all the things that happened. Come, and Jesus listened. He listened to what he was going through, what they were going through, what they had had happen, what they had experienced. He listened to all the things that were going on, and imagine the 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 span of things that went on. Some of these guys probably had better accommodations than other guys. Some of these guys probably saw in their team more healings than others. Some of them probably had better food than the others. Some of them probably saw more demonic things happen. Some of them probably experienced more rejection than the others did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus, he didn't care about the kind of experience. Jesus cared that they came and shared the experience with him. And church, that's what he wants with you. He wants you to come and to share your experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, to come and to just bring those things to him because Jesus, even though he knows, he wants you, he wants to hear you. He wants to spend time with you. And that also opens the door to hear from Jesus, to let Jesus encourage you. I'm sure that Jesus, he, he probably taught them. He probably told them some things they could have done different. Or why didn't you, you know, try this next time and, and encouraged them and speak to, spoke into their life and, and, and was there with them to encourage. And Listen, do you know what, in this process, do you know what Jesus was doing in it all? He was preparing them for the next mission. Because God was not done with them. And he is preparing you guys, each one of us. And whatever you're going through, what he's going to do is he's, gonna, he's preparing you for the next mission. He's preparing you for what it is that he's going to send you to, what he's going to use you for, what he's going to do in and through you. He's preparing you, and you need to have that time with Jesus so that he can do that, so that he can speak into your life and encourage you. Do we take the time and stop and allow God to speak into our lives that way? He's inviting you. Look, these are this, this, these things that we're talking about, these truths that we're speaking about, this word that we're reading through is still a word that's relevant to us today. And it's all relevant to you and what it is that you're going through because you are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every week, called you together so that he could impart to you and send you out. We talk about this every week. Hey, church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. We gather together so that we can be sent out. But look, are you the gathered or are you the sent? If you're the sent, I want you to know, and I put a, a list together 
Don't forget, you're helpless on your own. You can't do this alone. You need Jesus. You need his power, his authority. Don't try to be original. Stick to the word of God. Stick to the script. Don't water it down. Don't dilute it. Don't depend on what you can pack. Don't depend on what you have. Travel light, trust the Lord, and do what God's called you to do. Don't become a snob. Look, people are not objects to be used for your advancement, and neither is the ministry of the church. Don't expect a standing ovation from everyone. Look, be ready for trouble, and don't run away every time you get it. Don't water down the gospel so that you can avoid trouble. Don't get distracted by success. Don't let it go to your head. Don't start thinking it's all about, oh, look at me. No, it's the privilege of God working through me, you. And don't forget to tell Jesus about everything that you've experienced. And let him speak to you. Let's pray. Lord. Your word is a lamp, a light unto our path. And I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your word and that you gave it to us, Lord, for reasons and purposes that you know. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would minister in the needs and lives of each one that's here. And Lord, if there are any that are apart from you, Lord, I pray that, God, they would receive the message of the King, the message that Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for my sins, to go into the grave that I deserve, but the grave could not hold him. The grave could not keep him down. And he arose from the grave, revealed himself to humanity, and then arose to the right hand of the Father where he is now alive, interceding, and he's calling out to you right now, saying, come to me, all who will labor, all who are heavy burdened, all who are bound in darkness, all come unto me the kingdom is there for you to receive by faith and if you're not born again Jesus says you must be born again you must receive into your life the grace that God has extended right now and if you're not born again just ask him, Jesus, I take your hand and this is my day of salvation. God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Forgive me, Lord. I pray that you cleanse me and change me. I don't want to live the same way I've been living, Lord. I don't want that. I want to be transformed from my heart out. I'm sick of trying to conform. Jesus, I need you. cry out to Jesus. 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 Just call out.
now we are being sent. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. So go be the church. Amen? Go do what God has called you to do, and God will provide for that which he has called you to. God bless you. Have a beautiful day today. Go.